focus on the creative thing and don't worry too much about how it's going to play to people and how you'll sell it. Ahoy, and welcome to Come Sell Away, the sales podcast for people that don't like sales. Come sell away, family, friends, enemies. It's Molly here, um, flying solo today. Allie's off at a conference, working hard, so it's just me. Um, I have a question for everyone, and that is: Have you ever, were you ever a part of a choir or something musical when you were younger? And the majority of people, I think, would say yes to that. There's always some kind of music requirement growing up, but also in the majority, I think people tend to lose that interest or ability or confidence here in your own ability to pursue that creative part of your brain. But today we're talking to someone who really embodies making more accessible that creative part of your brain by offering music to everyone. So Sam Cavanaugh is a choir director based out of Dublin, Ireland, and I met him because quite literally I saw a flyer for his community choir in a cafe the fifth day I moved to Ireland and knew no one. So talk about serendipity. I showed up and it ended up being one of the better decisions I made, finding this community of people with no rules really other than getting a drink at the pub after each rehearsal. And because of the low-key nature and casualness of this group, it has continued to grow. There are cool uh, music writing classes he's expanded to, multiple choirs now, And I've even been part of uh, multiple flash mobs, you know, going to music festivals and singing at people in line or holiday markets and that sort of thing. When I contacted Sam about being part of the podcast, he was confused on how I would on how I would think of him in relation to sales. But he's what he's done is kind of evangelize this idea of music is for everyone. It's available. And when we got to talking, it was really interesting, his ideas of applying a creative project and selling it and getting people involved and but maintaining its artistic integrity as well as applying that idea of music is for everyone. So without further ado, I'm very happy to introduce Sam Cavanaugh of the La 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 Choir. Okay, so welcome Sam Cavanaugh to Come Sell Away. Thank you very much. We're happy to have you here. <laughs> Sam's calling in from Dublin, and uh, yeah, it's weirdly sunny there and rainy here, so I'm annoyed. But um, Sam and I met. I'll have to. I'll do like another intro for you um, before yeah. this. But um, but this is like the best thing ever because essentially we met because of a bathroom flyer. <laughs> oh yeah. From uh, the uh, I didn't know actually is that so you got roped in by that yeah the exactly. one poster I made so talk about Speaking some of, marketing extensive marketing is I drew <laughs> one poster and stuck exactly. it the one place I thought the most the more, most people would see it right and it was my fifth day in Dublin and I was like ooh a choir seems fun to join I better Google these people and see what's up and I found you guys on Facebook and I thought this will be really weird or really cool. And it turned out to be a combination of both. So, there's your sales pitch. No, yeah, exactly. Such a good yeah. time. But so we we talk sometimes on the podcast about like how people describe what they do. So how do you answer the question when someone's like, "What? Uh, we're at a networking thing. What? What do you do? Like, how do you answer that?" Uh, the first thing I say, I've, I've whittled it down to, "I'm a musician." 
um, which probably isn't actually the smartest one because I think it, it conjures up a lot of, there's so many things that that puts in people's heads of what does this person do. Um, so if, I, if they sort of smile and nod, I might say that I run a choir and that usually kicks things off as far as conversations and in a networking sense, usually followed by a ton of questions then. Really? It's usually the first question. <laughs> I've never heard <laughs> Or often actually then people start very quickly opening up about, oh, I hate singing or I used to love singing or I always wished to be in the choir or I do sing in the choir and it's the best thing ever. People are very, um, a lot of people have some sort of emotional reaction to it pretty straight away. The idea of singing is somehow connected to their lives. Right. And sometimes would like it's a connection that was in the past, maybe. Yeah. Well, I've spoken about it before um, in public and everything that uh, certainly in Ireland, a lot of people had this experience of being told to mime as a child or whatever. being asked to leave a choir or pretend they're not in the choir. All these things that seemed harmless enough in the moment to whoever was telling them to, you know, save the Christmas show or whatever, um, but ended up having this deep seated negative effect of these people who were afraid to use their voice as adults. And it's kind of interesting then that that's often who I end up talking to <laughs> people who are sort of, because the, the whole point of, of the La 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 choir is that it's open to everybody. So mm -hmm. very quick to try and challenge that. Like, oh, bet not me though. I'm, <laughs> <doing it. laughs> I'm the exception. <laughs> yeah. Everyone thinks they uniquely have the power to destroy this choir with their voice, which is ironically both incredibly self-effacing and incredibly uh, self-aggrandizing. Right, <laughs> exactly. It's like have this deprecating, but, <laughs> yeah. but like I could, I could be the one to ruin it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Such is the power of my voice. Like, then we true. want you. <laughs> you I know. Exactly. And um, I, that's something I was going to ask you later. But yeah, what do you say to kind of, you know how people have that mindset of like, and this comes with sales too, but you're like, oh, I'm not creative. Like, I, I don't do that. But scientifically, everyone has a creative part of their brain. Like, you can't deny it. Creative is an act, active verb. So what do you, how do you respond to those comments? Yeah, it's really easy now um, because the choir has been going for a while and we've got videos and photos and concerts and all this history that I can kind of back up what I'm saying with a lot of research, I guess, like not exactly proof, but stuff we've done that says, look, these are people who said they couldn't sing and here they are singing collectively. Obviously there are people in the choir. Or whatever. In the beginning, um, I don't know. I, I'm not, I don't really push I like to think I don't, anyway, um, come across as a hard seller, even when I'm talking about stuff that, you know, in, just in terms of opinion. So if someone says they're not creative, I kind of just politely disagree and then invite them to, to keep challenging it. Like, as in, I, in my experience, I've yet to come across anyone who, who can't hold their own in, in the La 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 choir. Um, so that continually backs up my theory that there isn't anyone that can do that. Uh, so mm -hmm. if anyone sort of, uh, I guess there's no point in saying you're not creative, even if it's hypothetically true, unless like to what, to what end would you live that way? <laughs> so right. That's sort of, I, I just sort of pointed out like that, like by all means, if, if, if for some reason you really enjoy that fact about you, then go for it. <laughs> Be not creative and have a great life. <laughs> but if, if you're not creative and you wished you were, it's sort of just, 
there's no point in announcing it that all you're just like you know announcing you can't do something is just pointless yeah (laughs) and maybe and maybe sometimes announcing it almost speaks to this desire to like want to address it or something or change it in a certain way yeah Yeah. but you like as far as your background you started as more like a teacher i know you went to music school right but you started as a uh, music teacher for kids is that right I guess it depends on where you consider that I started, but I, um, <laughs> from I, so, the bir- <laughs> day, of, day yeah. you were born, let's go, let's so go. Like, <laughs> let's just stick with music. But so I, I've been playing and making music my whole life. Um, so from pretty much the age of two is when I started playing piano with, with my aunt, um, quite informally. Um, but then as a teenager, I got more interested in music as, uh, as teenagers tend to do. And that was where I kind of sank in that I, I just had this, uh, what you call it, I guess a sense of identity that I'm a musician. In my school, in, in uh, high school or the Irish equivalent secondary school, um, is where I got this sense of, oh yeah, I'm a musician. So as far as what I'm going to go on and do after school, it, it wasn't even a question. Um, I don't remember really weighing up other options. I, I, I just was like a musician. So what had that manifested I don't know or, or wasn't sure exactly I was a guitar player at the time then I played saxophone and then I played piano and I was interested in jazz and rock music and blues and whatever the choir thing came about hand in hand with the music teaching thing so the place I went to study in Hungary is a music pedagogy school meaning they teach you how to teach music and they do it through singing so that's kind of where I went there to to learn how to teach music, figuring that that's a smart place to, to get a solid income with my musicianship. Um, and then through that, they were teaching you how, to, how choirs are such a useful thing because they basically take up no resources. All you need is the people interested to show up at the same place at the same time, yeah. ideally with a roof. <laughs> outside and even that's been optional as well you know with the choir we've sung in fields and things um so <laughs> the acoustics not as good but you know whatever you have so um that really spoke to something in me i really like the idea of working with no resources and then when you get resources you can really enjoy them as a bonus so no piano no uh sheet music no tuning fork even I lost my tuning fork at some point and ended up getting that bowl that you might have remembered me using um so like just this idea that you can you don't even need a tuning fork you just pick a key that vaguely fits and have a have a go um that's how I fell into the choir world it really appealed to me this idea that you could reach a lot of people making music together without anything extra you wouldn't have to sort of save up for pianos or whatever um which, yeah, so somewhere that sank into my brain. And then when I moved back to Dublin, the forefront of my mind was to set up a choir. Um, and my initial plan was to set it up for free um, because I, I clearly had, had slash have no business instinct. I think that's changing. <laughs> but uh, originally I had no instinct for how my living was going to come from this. I just was like, choir, that's a, that'll be good. I'll do a choir. Um, <laughs> and it'll be free because that'll be nice. Uh, and it's a recession in Dublin and, you know, no one has money. And, uh, and then straight away you get met with the realities of the market society, which is uh, the venue we wanted costs money. <laughs> so I said, okay, well, uh, if we're going to have to spend money to make this happen, then we should charge a little bit of money and so on. And then gradually that got refined. Um, I was doing other teaching work. Um, and running other choirs and 
random gigs here and there in a typical musician approach. And it, it sort of came to a point in the last year or two where I realized that the, the choir with a little bit of change in terms of my attitude of, of basically how much it costs to join or the kind of activities we do, I could switch it so that I could focus all my energy on the La 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 Choir as an entity. And then all of the side projects I do are some kind of La 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 thing as well. So we started doing the pop-up choirs and the composition courses. And there are, there are two La 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 Choirs now and expanding basically and, and doing less and less of the other random <coughs> musician stuff and focusing all my energy into this La 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 brand, I guess. And that's right. what, how I went from a two-year-old piano player yeah. to this. <laughs> I like how you said you were uh, informally playing piano at two years old. I was like, what? Two-year-olds play formally? <laughs> uh, they do. Um, yeah. yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. And yeah, with the first, quite like the, obviously the La La, as you first went about setting that up, how did you, I mean, yeah, you drew that flyer, but how did you go about kind of marketing, quote unquote, or just, you know, word of mouth or what did you do? Yeah, it was mainly word of mouth. Um, so the way it happened, I had it in my head that I wanted to set it up. Um, what's often good, I think, if you've got an idea that's maybe outside your comfort zone uh, is to run it by some friends and have them encourage you. So I did literally that. I told some people, thinking of starting a choir. And the ones who said, yeah, you should go for it. I was like, okay, I'll listen to you then. So then I started and what would that mean? So I contacted some, well, where would it rehearse? So I contacted these venues. Maybe can we rehearse there? And I just told them the idea. Back from Hungary, want to set up a choir, want to rehearse in this space. Um, so I got the rehearsal space down and I got the, the fee that that was going to cost and worked out, okay, well, we need to earn X amount to break even. And more than that is profits, less than that is the uh, folding the business I guess um <laughs> so so I had a target number which was I can't even remember what it was but some amount of people needed to show up for the choir to exist beyond that was fun stuff and less than that it wouldn't work so um I basically started telling everyone that I knew that, that I was setting up a choir um I drew that one flyer which I think I photocopied once stuck one in the bathroom of the place we were going to rehearse uh, yeah. And the other one in the the main area of it's, it's a cafe, the Fumbly Cafe. Mm-hmm. Um, so I stuck one on the on the wall of the actual cafe as well. The bathroom one apparently got more traction. Go figure. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then Facebook. So I, I guess um, without plugging too much the world of Facebook, but it was mm-hmm. very useful. It's a great way to increase word of mouth because I I didn't do anything like buying ads or anything. I just made. <laughs> Yeah, no, and that can, and that enough, like, can circulate way beyond, like, you have X amount of friends on Facebook, and then if they share it once, then they've got their circle and stuff, so you never know, and like I said, like, I went from the flyer to social media sort of thing, but, so, the cost benefit of your advertising was really, really well done. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, yeah, I think it's the classic thing of, um, I'm sure it's come up before, talking about sales, but it, it really helps if the thing you're selling is in demand already. So I think that was a big part of it, especially back then in Ireland, in Dublin. um, It was kind of the tail end of a recession. So this idea that an inexpensive way to spend some time with other people was appealing. Um, So I think that kind of is why it spread. There's choirs all over the place. Um, Our choir was in a relatively small bracket of choirs that don't require any audition or anything. So it was literally first come, first served. Uh, if you show up, 
you're welcome in the choir until it got physically too big and then we were full and that whole thing happened and that's how we expanded but up until that point it was like if you want to come and sing come and sing we didn't ask any questions about it that's great in the beginning and then i think what helps is the idea was anyone could join the choir regardless of your current um experience but from that moment in the choir we're kind of going to experiment and learn new things and the idea is that by being in the choir you'll improve which is i think maybe where the growth came from that, that it's probably not so satisfying to show up not do any audition and realize that your input isn't actually relevant even though you weren't challenged you know it's good to be challenged i guess so finding that balance is what seems to have done most of the selling for the choir is that anyone can join but from there you'll be challenged to improve and i think that's so true like i think just being able to have that opportunity to have the no uh you know no requirements sort of thing and so already it's deconstructing that thing where like oh i can't do that i've never done that formally quote unquote um so I might as well do it in a welcome environment. And then with that, you've acknowledged like that people grow from it, obviously, and, and changed it like accordingly and adapted. Yeah. So a big part of it was, yeah, I, I always went into it knowing that whatever vision I might have as an individual is, is inevitably going to change a little or a lot by, by virtue of the fact that I want people to participate in it. Um, right. Yeah. And also cause I'm interested with the improvising and everything. So really it meant that, even learning a piece of music, I can't lock, I can't lock down 100% the way I want it to go. It's part of the fun of it, which means that, you know, if this group of people tries it the exact same thing the next week, if it's slightly different, literally if one or two people have not come back to this rehearsal and one or two new people have joined, it changes the whole vibe of it gradually, which is just interesting. It's just, I, I don't know, keeps me on my toes. So yeah. I'd rather that than constantly trying to get everybody in the choir to conform to an idea I have before I met them. Mm -hmm. Seems like more of a struggle than it would be worth for me anyway. Yeah. <laughs> it'd be hard to have the same outfit for an, yeah, an improv, improv, improvised choir that exactly. and meets at the pub after each rehearsal each week. <laughs> do you consider, like, do you consider yourself an entrepreneur? Because what you're describing is essentially entrepreneurship. Yeah. I mean, um, I guess it's a loaded word mm -hmm. only in the sense of entrepreneur implies billionaire tech mogul these days, at least to me. <laughs> yeah. So I'm not that uh, yet, but, um, <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, in the very basic sense, in like, yeah, I'm, I am self-employed. Uh, I, my income comes from selling a service or a product to people as opposed to a salary that mm -hmm. I'm, contributing to a larger organization who ultimately sells that product or service to people. So yeah, I'm in that sense, I'm an entrepreneur. I, I guess. Yeah. Well, it somehow feels weird to say entrepreneur as opposed to a self-employed person only because entrepreneur implies this sort of super societal innovation that I <laughs> not necessarily feeling that I have to be honest, but before I think of either of those words, I, I I would pick the word artist, which is maybe even worse as far as ego. <laughs> but um, no. that's how I went. I, yeah. I like music and I really like singing and a cappella singing. The idea of just, all, again, a bunch of voices can make this really great sound. And I really get a great satisfaction out of teaching that to people or sharing it with people who, who maybe have only dipped a toe in the water of music world um, sort of 
showing them how to swim to keep that analogy going. It's, it's really interesting. So that, that's what fuels everything I do. And then the making more money than I spend is just basic personal finance that happens to extend mm-hmm. to, to the business that um, it's because I want to eat as well. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, and then the growth of the choir is really informed by what do I like to do? Um, so obviously there's more choirs, hence the second choir. Um, the composition was a natural extension of the improvising teaching. Some people in the choir were asking me about music theory and chords. And I said, rather than answer these questions in the pub, let's make it a whole other course and we can do it more um, formally. Where Again, you're, you can come whatever level you're at, but it will challenge you that you, by the end of it, you have to take the information about chords and rhythm and scales and everything and turn it into a piece of music that you are composing yourself. So that, that, um, that also grew from, from the art idea. Um, so yeah, I guess you can use the word entrepreneur. I'm happy to take it, but, but artist is more the way I feel it, I guess. When I wake up every day and I do my to-do list, it's really the music and the art and all that hippie stuff that's influencing what's mm-hmm. on my to-do list. No, that's good stuff. But I do think that's interesting because that's exactly what I was going to ask is that the the word entrepreneur is usually associated with tech and um, yeah innovation or engineering um, mm-hmm. and that can be creative in its own way but what you know that's why is that entrepreneur because what you were doing is yet yeah, you're creating something of your own and you're yeah you're self employed and by definition yeah entrepreneur and maybe are not all artists entrepreneurs or are all but maybe all entrepreneurs are artists, I don't know, but, <laughs> or vice versa. Yeah, there's definitely overlap, yeah. No, but I would say, certainly, if, if you're looking to be an artist, um, at least in the world that, that I'm in, uh, yeah, you've got to be aware of the things that entrepreneurs are aware of in terms of how finances work. Mm-hmm. I think that was one big thing that, I, that finally clicked with me um, from when I, now versus when I started the choir which is it's kind of a, a sidetrack, which you can edit out. But when, when I was uh, learning music as a teenager, um, I was big into guitar and I was specifically big into Jimi Hendrix. And I remember a lot of my classmates in my music class were really excited by this idea that Jimi Hendrix didn't read music. Um, and that must be a source of a lot of his uh, free-wielded power that like he's, you know, he uh, does yeah. all this crazy stuff. And because it's not tied down by reading music. And that was influencing people to, to not want to read music. Um, and I had the opposite idea. I, I figured, well, I get, I'm really into Jimi Hendrix. I don't think learning to read music will take that away from me mm-hmm. if I don't let it. Then fast forwarding to thinking about money and one kind of influence, uh, probably around that same age, but I was reading um, what you call him Richard Branson's autobiography and he sort of mm. speaks the same way about um, money like you know, I don't know the difference between net and gross and usher I don't know I just do what I do blah 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 and I for a while I had that thing of yeah money whatever it'll happen you just got to do what you love um, and then somewhere along the line I, I made the connection and I realized actually I, I can still do what I love and know the difference between net and gross or think about what actions I need to do to make mm-hmm. a profit or learn how to make uh, an accountant spreadsheet of my, my choir's income and how much of it's spent on choir activities. And so I, I kind of just found a way to enjoy that stuff that isn't really the art of it. Um, 
which I forget why that answers your question, but I think it does. No, it's <laughs> I totally forgotten what it was. Because, yeah, it's, act, it's that, that sort of relationship, and, it's ever, and again, it's the creative business sort of combo and you're allowed to you're allowed to have both and I did the same thing right? yes I'm I'm not gonna I don't need to you know sacrifice my everyday like day-to-day thing for um just to make money but then that you yeah self-employed people gotta eat and then when and when you do fuse those things together it's important and then that much more satisfying when you're like okay well now I can pay this bill <laughs> yeah and actually not only that but knowing that stuff makes me anyway, has made me um, a more conscious consumer of things. Mm-hmm. So by, by knowing roughly how the market works and what my role is in it, I, I genuinely feel like I can make more decisions that are in line with whatever my values and ethics are in terms of buying things and in terms of charging people for money for things and in terms of marketing and sales and, you know, all of these questions that as, as a teenage artist, I just instantly ruled out as nonsense. Right. Um, now I'm sort of like actually being aware of it. You can absolutely highlight a lot of it is nonsense, but by being aware of how that nonsense operates, you can make right. a, a smarter decision about what your role in interacting with that nonsense is which is just healthier in general, I think, for your brain and, and ultimately serves the art, which as an artist is my goal. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And that's something I was going to ask you too. So you are going right into this because um, as the La La grew and yeah, you needed more, like there's just logistical things that come with that. Even though you were bare bones, like no guitar, no whatever for the first few weeks, like you need more space and that costs money. And yeah, when it started growing, applying that sort of money aspect to something that people just were already anticipating to be just creative and uh something that they could just walk right into I think would have been maybe a little awkward or something and I know something that I've like as a freelance is also a little bit of an aside but um uh freelancing and applying my own prices to things is the hardest part of it like that's it I I hate that I save it for last I I like spend 20 minutes writing this five sentence email to be like, yeah. you need this much, blah, 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 please. Um, <laughs> and so I think that can often be the hardest part, especially when someone's like creative and they've had that mindset for a long time. There's, there's whole worlds of books and blogs and stuff about how to figure out your pricing. And yeah, almost everyone wants to know what your hourly or your day rate is. And that doesn't apply to an artist for sure, because the better I get it, at what I do, the quicker I am at it. So it doesn't make sense to charge a, a time-based rate. Mm-hmm. Usually what I try to do is estimate what what value would I bring to a project. If someone wants me to come into their office and do a workshop or to go on stage and do something, I try and see like, okay, well, if I do that, th- the fallout will ultimately be whatever. Usually I try and in my head figure out if it, maybe if it has a monetary gain for them, and then I'll just take some of that in my head or whatever. But or often lately, I try and encourage whoever's looking to hire me to, to do all that. <laughs> so I say, <laughs> why are you hiring me? Have you thought this through? Do you just think it will be cool and you think it will be super cheap and then you find out it's not? Or is there a genuine benefit you think you can gain from me coming um, that you can put a price on and then give me some of that price? That's a good way to flip it on its head. <laughs> yeah, it, it works and it doesn't work. The other thing is I, I don't panic too much on a case-by-case basis anymore. So I, I chat with friends about it and I read some stuff and you, it finds its own level. You, you might offer someone a price and they usually they'll negotiate with you, which is helpful because then you, you at least get to figure out something that suits everyone. 
sometimes they won't negotiate and then you just think, okay, there goes that one. I don't, I don't get too hung up on it. I just let it go. But I do have a baseline, a minimum that I calculated, spend some time figuring out what are my non-negotiables. And yeah. I just genuinely get pretty extreme with it and say, below this amount, I would not be able to survive. Yeah. <laughs> so. yeah. no, it's good. I think it's good to draw the boundaries. Yeah. yeah. And that's something I was going to say. What was like, what's a piece of advice you would give someone that wants to sell, like sell an experience like you do, like you're this talented creative slash entrepreneur slash choir director. So for someone doing something off the cuff or creative like that. Um, the, the best thing I would say as far as the creative thing is, is what I started out with that um, focus on the creative thing and don't worry too much about how it's going to play to people and how you'll sell it. Because if you get into that side of things too early, you'll end up warping the creative thing to suit it, which is uh, what has been called for years selling out. You know, that thing of <laughs> you, you changed what you would otherwise have done artistically in order to make more money, um, which has the vicious circle of compromising your artistic integrity. And then I think people are pretty tuned into that. Um, now that said, uh, you might make more money that way. So maybe do that. <laughs> but, but for me, uh, I would focus first on making sure the art is where you want it to be. And then in my experience, although I would say I'm, I'm still sort of um, midway figuring it out, but it, it sells itself because people want to participate in an experience that has integrity. So I guess what the technical way would be focus on product and or service development and focus on marketing, which is telling people about your product and or service. And then the sales will kind of just happen because people will go, hey, that looks good. And then they'll try it and they go, oh, it was good. And then they'll tell other people. That's, and then that's been my experience. Yeah. Um, so that, yeah, the main thing is, so I guess it's if I'm speaking to artists or musicians, it's yeah, try to put the panic of, oh shit, I need to learn a ton of money out of your head and try to however you manage that try to stay calm and and make art first um your panic about money is valid but if you want to solve that problem through the arts you won't do it by warping your art in order to do it you might as well just stop completely and get get a, a less creative job with a more guaranteed income i think my sales quote-unquote strategy mm -hmm. it's just look at this thing i think it's pretty cool maybe you will too <laughs> <laughs> hopefully we'll see yeah well if not there's definitely loads of people who've come to choir and left come to the mm -hmm. pop-up choirs and left who heard about it and and it's just not for them totally fine as long yeah. as there are enough people then i'm happy um, mm -hmm. yeah exactly and you can't be for everyone like yeah, yeah. Nobody likes it, then I'm in trouble. But I don't need everyone to like it either. <laughs> Somewhere in the middle between nobody and everybody. Is yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love that. I guess this brings me to your almost, I think what I would call the La La La's choir's tagline, which is music is for everyone. Um, or maybe it's your tagline. I don't know. But in the, in the world of branding and marketing, would you say that um, that's part of the La 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 brand at all? <laughs> it's definitely become part of it. Um, to be honest, it's become part of it because it's, it's sort of ended up in a weird way, quite controversial, um, which I really wasn't expecting. So I, the phrase comes from, I, you know, I studied in, in a 
place called the Kodai Institute, which is named after a man called Zoltan Kodai, who was this Hungarian music pedagogy uh, advocate, let's say, and composer and a great guy and did a lot of great stuff. Um, it was kind of his influence that was this idea that music education isn't just for the elite who are going to go and become the greatest piano players and violinists of all time, but it's for everybody. The, the logic being that um, there, are, there are layers to participating in music you can it's worth educating everyone um, just because there are benefits to that. Even if only a few of them still go on to become these like technical artistic geniuses. Um, so I was just taking that idea. The music is for everyone is, is just a, a snappy way to say that. Um, mm -hmm. What's made it become a brand is that uh, kind of what we started talking about. I'm often challenged on it. Really? Are people, music isn't really for everyone, though, is it? And I kind of go, yeah, everyone. Everyone can participate in music. Um, and I've really I've thought about it a lot. Like, I've boiled it down to, um, this might get totally rambly, but I'll, I'll try it anyway. That Music is um, basically patterns. And the difference between sort of random noise and music is your ability to recognize patterns in it. So if you lose your voice, your arms, your legs, if you're just a brain in a jar if you can recognize patterns you can participate in music beyond that you're dead in which case those people music is not for i guess we don't know what happens then but um that's kind of how i boil it down that you know obviously it's slightly different when i say that everyone can sing only because if you're getting really pedantic about it people who have, are recovering from throat surgery might have a difficult time actively singing in the sense that their vocal cords vibrate and make the pitch that you want. But as far as participating in music on some level, I mean, the very basic level being listen to music, but, um, but then even working with deaf people, um, it's possible to actively participate in music. When you, when you define music more as patterns than specifically audio patterns, then you can really open out what it is. And then you get into all sorts of other hippie territories that I, I can chat about at length, but maybe should uh, think about more first. But the point is, I stand by it. I don't normally get into that, and you can feel free to cut it, but the, the point is that when I say music is for everyone, I kind of have that in my head that, um, yeah, everyone can participate in music and benefit from participating in music. Mm -hmm. um, and that being a brand is, yeah, I say that a lot, hence it's a brand. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, that's kind of what I was thinking. Just, I love that part. We want to be a controversial podcast, so we're gonna we're gonna, you know, <laughs> we want to we want to push some buttons for sure. Right. Um, but I do think that's really interesting, and it reminds me of I I rewatched your TED talk yesterday, which is great. Um, but I think that's something that would make for a good TED talk to communicate this sort of idea that yeah, it seems like basic and palatable, but maybe pushes people in this way that you get pushback unexpectedly. And because yeah. I didn't expect you to say that that was controversial. I was like, oh, this is a nice idea. Um, Music is for everyone. I'm really surprised by it. And, and pleasantly, like I'm, I'm happy to debate or say my position and have someone challenge it. It only reinforces it so far. Um, but yeah, it's sort of interesting. And I think it just comes back to that thing of people have had an experience where they were maybe told that music isn't for them. Um, mm -hmm. And what I guess I'm saying is in theory, if, if you were to, there is a way where you can overcome that. And I think it's something, if you're genuinely happy not doing that, uh, and I've met people who are, then, then no worries. In the same way that swimming is for everyone, but maybe you don't want to swim. That's fine. 
but if you're someone who wishes you could participate more in music, um, I think the problem is if you're turned off by the fact that you'll never be the next Maria Callas or the next whoever you value as the highest mm-hmm. functioning artist, um, you may never reach these sort of high levels in this objective linear sense, but that's not the same as saying you will never benefit from participating in music. And I think maybe that's where the controversy ends is that people sort of realize, oh yeah, it's not the same thing to become the world's greatest whatever versus participate in that activity. Like I'm not the world's greatest swimmer, but I like to swim. In that way, I feel like you're almost selling music, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Well, actually, well, yeah. And um, that came up in my mind when I was sort of thinking about why am I on a sales podcast? <laughs> because I was like, most of exactly what I had just said, most of my sales is like, you know, tell people there's a choir and then they join it or they don't. And that's about the extent. <laughs> but there is a certain salesy aspect to um, once people are in the choir, getting them to hop on board with what I'm trying to teach musically of a given season, you know, especially when we do a specific focus on whatever kind of music or or with the improvising a lot of people who are very happy to sing in choirs and have done so for years are challenged with that aspect or now this season with the original compositions um there is a little bit i guess of convincing people to go along with your plans um that maybe has parallels with the image of a traditional salesperson <laughs> but I never um, thought about it that way but exactly I know and I know when I reached out I was like you might not think sales and music have anything to do with each other but I was like I think this could be interesting to see <laughs> and that's what we're trying to deconstruct is that I don't think the salesy grimy salesperson as everyone envisions like a car dealer man or whatever yeah. that as I don't think he really exists anymore well I mean, car dealer guys could still can rip you off, but, <laughs> but, you know, everyone else in their career in some way is convincing someone else of, you know, it's like, do you want this? Can we help you? How does this product, how does this service, this experience, like help you change your life, make it easier, better, more fun, something like that. And I think there's some sort of involvement with, there's definite involvement with music because people have that experience where you're like, oh, I did that once upon a time. So you're tapping into something super nostalgic and specific I think yeah I agree (laughs) and so with your coming back to your TED talk which again I was devastated I couldn't go to in person (laughs) (laughs) but but what did you how did you prepare for that and what did you try and (laughs) because it because you were so natural when you get up there and you just are like in front you know in front of like easily a couple hundred people and that can be yeah. super intimidating and you have no you don't have any visuals or anything like that but it's just you yourself and your voice and obviously yeah. we're going to link to this so people can watch it but um how did you um, prepare so hilariously i did not prepare at all um <laughs> of course <laughs> which i tried to um so there's certain rules with a TED talk, uh, it's got to be a, a multiple of three minutes. So 12, 15 or 18 minutes or that kind of thing. So mm-hmm. I had an 18 minute slot. That much I knew. <clears throat> and what I knew is I wanted to, to cover certain points. And more importantly, since the main point I was trying to cover was active participation in music is good. I figured talking about it would be one step removed from that. So I would talk a little, but I knew that 
ultimately the plan here was to have everyone singing, um, which is oddly enough my comfort zone. Um, and I actually found it much more comfortable to improvise what I was saying than to write, read, and learn and memorize a script, mm -hmm. which makes sense because that's also how I feel about music. I mean, even all my studies with classical music, um, I just always found it hard. It's like accessing a different part of my brain, the, the memory part of my brain. It's there and it works, but it's, it's more work. <laughs> Whereas the just make it up as you go part of my brain is, I don't know, firing in all cylinders for some reason. Um, there are downsides to that, which um, I constantly try and overcome. So, so my instinct is not to plan anything. Um, you can't live that way. So I do try to plan things. <laughs> but referring just to my TED Talk, um, yeah, I, I didn't plan it. The only plan was I sort of practiced saying it. But even then I got embarrassed. So I didn't <laughs> practice it too much. Um, I, even with the, the piece of music I was going to do, I had a few in my back pocket, my, uh, um, figuratively speaking. I, I didn't know what music I would do. And there, a part of the reason for that and the whole uh, improvisational approach is, is you don't know what you're going to get. The audience might be really responsive. They might be really unresponsive. And rather than plan for one, find myself struggling because it's the other, I just didn't plan for either and then <laughs> decided to play it as I go. But um, I do think it shows actually with that TED Talk. It, I, uh, I have a trouble watching myself back, but I've, what bits of I have watched of it, I think, oh yeah, that could be a little bit more concisely said. I think. So there is a benefit to planning, which I did not uh, bother with for my title. <laughs> bother with, um, yeah. It was no, 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 but it looks. It doesn't appear that way at all. And uh, yeah, you often can tell when people have like this kind of canned, like planned script that they're going to say. Um, but no, I found it was like, it's, it's very natural and you can tell people are, because those aren't necessarily people coming to seek music. They weren't people coming to your choir. Right. So they're like feeling a little weird singing, blah, blah, yeah. blah. But I think that's part of the fun because you're breaking this, what can be quite like a, a serious or lots of TED talks can be really deep and maybe even pretentious. Um, so you were breaking that, I think a bit. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, I guess, um, the pro side of um, the whole improvising and, and not planning too much in advance is it's much easier to get into a bit of a flow with it. Mm. Um, and, and I just get a satisfaction out of taking these kind of risks. Like, the, I plan the choir sessions in terms of what music I want to sing, but I don't always, you know, I don't script them. I don't plan what I'm going to say. So that's more of a representation of how I would operate anyway. Um, so I decided, even though in theory the stakes are higher by a larger audience and being filmed and it's a TED Talk and I have to wear a suit and all that kind of stuff, I, I somehow felt like I should still take the, do it the risky way because mm -hmm. that's where, I don't know, I don't know why I'm interested in that. But there's something about it that, uh, you know, if in theory the TED Talk wasn't amazing, I'd rather learn from that having tried the risky way than, than not, I guess. Again, that's just where my, my instinctive strengths are, but uh, I increasingly value planning ahead and <laughs> all that kind of stuff as well. So there's a, like anything, I'm sure there's a balance, uh, that classic answer, but it's true. So yeah. I like that. Um, that's great. Well, this has been more than enough for sure, but um, I got to ask you the, our little 
um, quick questions that we always ask everyone, which is, is there a piece of um, inspiration, I suppose, or like whether it be a podcast or a movie or an artist that you've followed or kind of that you would recommend people seek out or that you, that has kind of guided you through your own career? I'm putting quotes. Up. <laughs> yeah. Um, there's a few. So, so the, the bigger one, as far as a broad inspiration uh, would be Bobby McFerrin. Okay. Uh, is a singer who just on this he's famous uh although he he doesn't seem to like to admit it anymore but uh, the the big thing that shot him to fame was um he sings don't worry be happy oh okay i was like uh, why is that so f- okay <laughs> yeah so but that's not really representative of what he does or what inspires me about him what's interesting and if people want to seek him out besides seeing him perform which i absolutely recommend would be watching videos of him perform but he he has that what i just was talking about the whole risk takey thing on a whole other level his his whole shtick is he goes out on stage alone with a microphone and does this incredible solo singing with his own voice his technique is incredible um and participates with the audience in this really seamless flowing way and everything almost everything is improvised and that he really lives that sort of spirit of you know night by night it might be up or down but overall the improvisational aspect to his art is what he's interested in which is really hard I think nowadays because by improvising all the time you end up not really producing a product like I've never recorded anything that you could buy on iTunes or in a a CD or a record or something so it's really hard as it to, to like improvising in a world where producing a set product that's recorded in one form uh, is the norm. So he manages to find this quite high degree of success while maintaining his own artistic integrity. So that that's, he's a huge influence on that level and also just musically, um, the whole no resources just him and a microphone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'll have to give you, uh, get you to send me your favorite Bobby McFerrin one. Oh Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, thanks so much, Sam. This is perfect. There's any uh, parting words you'd like to parting glass words you'd like to share um, <laughs> with dear listeners? Um, I'm not an economist, but there's definitely an increasing attention being paid to this concept of experiential value as opposed mm-hmm. to commercial value, I suppose. So mm-hmm. obviously there's some commercial value has to happen. People need to sign up for the choir and blah, blah, blah. But then after that, you know, it, it doesn't work that for every, I get a euro for every time we sing a chord in tune or that kind of, like, you know, that eventually there's just all this experiential stuff which can't be necessarily tied to a, a value, a number value, which I don't know if it's to do with the times we're in. It seems like it's been since the start of humanity, but yeah, there's this desire to seek that kind of experience that in and of itself isn't necessarily attached to a number um it's just enjoyable um that was perfect oh that was a perfect one <laughs> all right cool awesome. we'll, we'll call it good there um but um thanks so much sam it was fun <laughs> if you're in dublin feel free to come and sing the la 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 choir or if you're not in dublin and would like to sing with me or the la 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 choir uh invite us there and we'll come yeah <laughs> start one of your own <laughs> there you go I will say, hold on, I'm going to stop recording this as it starts coming. Why am I on a sales podcast?